Hornets fans, we have a trade to announce. Two, in fact. The trade deadline has come and gone, and the Charlotte Hornets did something I did not think would happen. They made some moves. They picked a direction. It seems like a podcast is in order. Let's get it. Welcome to the Sports Ethos Charlotte Hornets podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Listen, y'all, Charlotte Hornets finally did it. They finally did it. Um, moving Miles Bridges? No, they didn't do that. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I wish, uh, wish they did, but they didn't. What they did do was make two big moves. Now, if you listen to our last pod, um, I had on uh, Joshua Balta, and we talked about the trade, the Terry Rozier trade. Um, him going to the Miami Heat, uh, and the Hornets receiving Kyle Lowry, who has since been bought out and um, signed with the Philadelphia 76ers, as well as the 2027 first-round pick via the Heat. Uh, the 2027 is protected. The 2028 is unprotected. So, like, that, it, it falls outside the protection of the 2027. It will be unprotected 2028. Not the point. Point being, that move symbolized Charlotte actually dismantling some of the core they've had for a couple of years. And this would be post-Kemba Walker. You think about it, after Kemba Walker left, sign and trade, you got Terry Rozier, they Devontae Graham, they rolled with that, with Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, boom. And then they got LaMelo Ball, you know, lost Devontae Graham, rolled with that. And this is the beginning of dismantling that core, signing Gordon Hayward, adding to that, and moving on to whatever team this Hornets um, squad will become around LaMelo Ball. Because the mobile ball kind of came around the team, and now it's trying to better fit around Lamella. But to do that, you have to dismantle some parts, and and that has been something Charlotte's been. I, I don't even know the word uh, unwilling. There it is. Came to me really quickly. <laughs> That's been something Charlotte's been been unwilling to do. But they finally have went and did that. So that was the first step. But trade deadline day, Charlotte made two other moves, two bigger moves to further bring that rebuild along. Because let's face it, the Hornets have been in a rebuild, just not one of their own creation. Right? I mean. I'm sorry, not one of their own design. They, they've wanted to compete. I'm not sure with this roster where they thought that would happen, but they wanted to be, you know, a play-in team, maybe a lower-seed playoff squad, like see what happens, right? That's not been something that's been the case for them. We saw um, 21 and 22, um, them just get dismantled in the play-in game, right? Uh, and then last year missed it entirely, and this year going to do much of the same. But that's, that's basically been what this is a rebuild they just because they haven't gone with the intention of doing so they haven't been prioritizing you know young assets and draft picks to be able to kind of continue on with that core they don't even know what that core is outside Lamella ball and i think now you have a bigger understanding of brandon miller as well and mark williams so brandon miller mark williams Lamella ball now you have three pieces that you kind of stumbled into because got mark williams in the middle lottery and many people, myself included, were um, definitely harping for Jalen Duran, who I don't think would have been a bad decision, but Mark Williams has been a good one, even with his disconcerting back injury, right? Then you get Brandon Miller at number two, which I definitely wasn't a fan of. I really want to scoot Henderson right now. I mean, let's be real. Brandon Miller has been so much more consistent over the course of the season so far. I'm still high on scoot, but that's just been what it's been, right? So you have him, you already have LaMelo, who even with LaMelo's injury history, he's still one of your better players, if not your best player. He is your best player. On the Hornets. Brandon Miller, you know, a little bit behind him. So, like, that's it. But now, with these moves I'm about to break down, I don't know, what a preamble, right? We can kind of get in, finally get into 
what a rebuild will look like for the Hornets, what they'll be looking to prioritize, like that sort of thing, which is a good mindset finally for the front office to have in regards to their roster and just having a basic understanding of their own personnel. Know your personnel, one-on-one, right? All right, so first trade, uh, the Hornets traded Gordon Hayward, who was in the last year of his contract, going to be an expiring, uh, he is an expiring contract, going to be an unrestricted free agent, been injury riddled throughout his entire Hornets tenure, as we already know, um, and much of us too, are great chagrin. But no more, because he is gone. Sent away to Oklahoma City to join one of the best in the Thunder. Um, in exchange, the Hornets received Trey Mann, Davis Bertans, Vasily Mishic, two second-round picks, 2024, and 2025. So three players and two picks for a guy who was going to leave anyway. There's no way they're bringing Gordon Hayward back. I think the entire experience has been horrible for everyone concerned, both for Gordon Hayward and for the Hornets, because between the injuries and just the failed expectations, I mean, the fact that you bought out a guy in Nicholas Batum, to sign a guy like Hayward, and Nicholas Batum immediately goes and becomes a very impactful player for three seasons over the Clippers and the 76ers, while you have a guy in Gordon Hayward who's been good, but also injury-ridden, like, it's not a good look, right? And ultimately, to get something for him than do nothing is great. I wouldn't have been a big fan of a buyout. I would have just rather had him on, on and, and done nothing. Because basically, whether he's not on the team or he's sitting on the bench, Gordon Hayward is doing the exact same amount of production. So already, it's a win to get anything back for it. I've been happy with one second. I've been happy with two. Two seconds in a player? Sure. If that player wasn't Davis Bertans, you know, with that ETO, like, that he's probably going to pick up. But, like, that's what I mean. Like, if it's a player, if it's picks, I was happy. If it's a player, I want to know what type of player it is. What really gets me is Vasily Micic and Trey Mann. Why? Micic was a 2021 EuroLeague MVP. Like, the dude knows how to play. One of the best guards to do it. He is a rookie by NBA standards, but the dude is 30 years old. He is not a rookie to the game of basketball. He's been doing it for a while, and he's been playing very well overseas. With the Thunder, let's be real. He just wasn't going to start over their more talented guard players. He just wasn't. And so he didn't get a lot of time. It was kind of inconsistent. Didn't look super great, whether it was adjusting to the game, whatever the case may be. I don't think it was that. I think it was just spot minutes for a guy who's used to being a star, right? Almost like the inverse Nikola Miritich, the guy who was a role player in the NBA and then goes over to EuroLeague and he's just the man. So I think it was just kind of a reverse process there. But you have him who will definitely help your um, back for the Hornets backcourt because the Hornets backcourt, let's be real, it's been rough, right? Like Terry Rozier has been taken before he was gone, was playing your point guard and your off guard because the mother ball was injured so much, right? And then, of course, you had Ishmith, which thank goodness Ishmith can like bring the ball up the court, get you in your offense, but by no means he a guy who you really think is going to put pressure on the rim from a scoring capacity consistently, right? He's more of like a four and five guy, four points, five assists, and that's not bad. This is not what you're trying to get if you're looking for a backup point guard with a team, you know, that, that wants a long-term future. Plus, Ishmith in the last year of his career, like he was going to retire before he joined with the Hornets. It's pretty Stands to reason he'll probably retire at the end of the season. So, like, no, getting a guy who, yes, not that much younger than um, Ishmith, but is younger, still has a lot to prove in the NBA, comes with a chip on his shoulder, and is one of the best to do in the EuroLeague, that's great. That's just great news to hear. But this is what I'm really excited about. Trey Mann. Trey Mann comes in, having spent a couple seasons with the Oklahoma City Thunder, showing some tremendous promise, but not really getting the opportunity Again, because the talented guards in front of him. He's not been super great, but he's been good. He was picked 18th overall in the 2021 NBA draft. He's a 6'3 combo guard. Like I said, spent the last two seasons in Oklahoma City, and now he is with the Charlotte Hornets. And I like Trey Mann. I think Trey Mann, he's already had a triple-double in his in his career. Um, this was against 
the Memphis Grizzlies a couple years ago um, when he played with the Thunder, but he already had triple-double with them. Like, he's somebody that is a skilled shot creator. He has a deadly change of pace. He needs to be more consistent as a shooter, in my mind, more consistent as a finisher consistently. But he's somebody who can do it. Um, he can bust out some big scoring numbers. Like, that's something that, 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 that he's shown he can do. He can run the offense in spots. I wouldn't call him a straight-up point guard the entire time. But I definitely think that he's someone who can be a really good combo guard. And that's what's more importantly. I think he shows the flash and the promise that you want from a guy in the backcourt for Charlotte. You haven't had a lot of that. In the backcourt specifically. Bryce McGowan has had his moments. But right now, it looks like he'd be a very good eighth man on the team. That's not bad. But that's just what he looks like right now. Nate Smith Jr., too early to tell. He's been great, but, like, he's also had issues, right? And his rookie season as well. So he's one of those guys that promised to me, but isn't a bona fide, like, okay, he's the future type guy, right? I'm not saying that Trey Mann is, but I'm just saying Trey Mann has the promise to do so, right? And I think he's going to be great on this team. He's going to start immediately because the Hornets need him to, but I think he's going to be able to get that runtime, be able to use athleticism, actually use some north-south to get to the basket, which we haven't really seen since the middle consistently hopefully you know knock down some outside jumpers to kind of keep spacing for guys like brandon miller guys like miles bridges you know people to capitalize on that but also leveraging his own scoring opportunities because he is somebody who can put the ball into the basket and so that's the biggest thing if you admit a straight up swap gordon hayward for trade man i've been happy if you did gordon hayward for mishich and man overjoyed but i get mishich and man and the two picks yes i am through the roof I'm excited. This is great news. You can't tell me nothing. But there's more. And and, and this is not really there's more. And then let me tell you the greatness of Davis Bertans. Because huh, Davis Bertans is what Davis Bertans is. And that's one of the best shooters to do it. Does he do what you want Davis Bertans to score by shooting? He will do that. You want him to shoot the ball? He will shoot the ball. You want Davis Bertans to play defense? He will shoot the ball. <laughs> like he, he ain't doing a whole lot. But what he is doing, he's going to do very well. Shoot the ball. For his career, he is a 39% three-point shooter on just over four attempts per game. That's with the Spurs, that's with the Wizards, with the Mavericks, Oklahoma City, and now Charlotte. That's what he does. He gets them up. Made a career of it. He finished back with the Spurs, I mean, at this point, almost six years ago. He was in top 12 in voting for six man of the year. Top eight at one point. Like, that was never going to happen because he's very much a one-trick pony. But, like, that's the kind of thing he does. In his heyday... You know, he was averaging, you know, 143s a game. Uh, 143s a game. Jeez, I'm sorry. 143s a season. <laughs> now, his playing time has diminished. He's gotten older. His defense has not gotten better. Doesn't give you a whole lot else. He's been more of a situational matchup type of person for offense. So, yeah, they've gone down some. But even in limited opportunity, he's still knocking down shots. If you look at his basketball reference numbers, his worst season from three, like straight up worst season from three, was in 2021-2022 on a pretty bad Washington Wizards team. We shot 31% from three. Even 31% is not super bad. I mean, it's pretty bad, but it's not super bad for a guy getting up the amount that he does, right? Like, that was his worst season. Rebounded with a 36% season. Now, mind you, he played less than, like, this was, um, this was rebounding in the same season. Got traded to Dallas midseason. So then he rebounded immediately. The next season bumps all the way up to 39% from the field from three. Next season, barely plays, right? I mean, this is this is the season right now. Between between um, Oklahoma City and Charlotte, not done a whole lot. Barely playing in, Char- in Oklahoma City. But even then, he got up some goals. He, was, he went 10-24 from three, 41%. Like, ultimately, that's who Davis Bertans is. 
So, yeah, he's not going to get a lot of runtime in general. Like, that's not his game. He's not that guy. He averaged in his heyday, you know, what, 24 minutes, 25 minutes a game. He had 29 minutes a game in Washington, 25 in Washington. And again, since then, it's been no more than 15. I expect that to stay around the same. Like, I don't think he's going to get six minutes a game like he did in Oklahoma City, but I doubt he's going to get, you know, 25 like he did in Washington. Draw it off the middle. Give him, like, 15. 13 to 15. Let's be safe there. Like, but even that's still good. Even that's still good. To give you some necessary spacing, the Charlotte Hornets offense has been rough to watch. We all know that. It's been so, so bad. Like, it has not been good. And so now you get a guy who can at least help space the floor. That's tremendous. So, yeah, big fan of that initial move. And were that the only thing that the Hornets did, I wouldn't have been that upset. I'd have been like, okay, cool. Like, I'm okay with Trey Mann in the building. I'm okay with seeing what Mitchish can do. Um, Darius Bertans, he'll be here for the rest of the year. We'll see what happens next year. But listen, he can space the floor. It's not a horrible, I mean, it is a pretty bad deal. But it's not like horrible in terms of, you know, him not being able to offer any value. Like, I'd rather have that than just pay that much money for a defensive specialist on a Hornets team that has basically no other defenders, right? Like, at least his value will do something in Charlotte. So that was my thought there. But then, Charlotte surprised and went with another move. And so this is the second move that the Hornets did where they traded, and I like this guy, P.J. Washington, and two second-round picks to the Dallas Mavericks for Grant Williams, Seth Curry, a 2027 first-round pick that is top two protected, and that was the package. I don't know why I keep going. And this, and this, it was just those things. Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and a 2027 top two protected pick. I still like it. So, here, P.J. Washington. I I, I love him. I, I'm a big P.J. Washington fan. I always have been. I really thought that he was a guy who could bring some real value to um, to the Hornets. And, and in the moments, he did. Wasn't as consistent as you'd like, that's for sure. But he is somebody who definitely did you know, have some big scoring nights, you know, was able to do some some good rebounding numbers in, in spurts, um, great dunks. Like, he's had moments. If you played Sacramento, you were going to get a, a, just a vintage P.J. Washington game. Like, that's the kind of guy that he was. But he just wasn't consistent enough, right? And he was a guy who still had some value. He's still young, just 25. Like, he did have some value that other teams would be interested in him. Almost like that mystery box in a way. Even though, not really a mystery box, but, you know, the, the thought uh, of that was there, right? But he just, that was it. Like, his role was uh, was always changing. You know, he came in, he's playing small ball five. He was, you know, kind of a power forward in the starting lap originally. He was a guy who was, you know, a spark plug in offense. Like, his role would be a lot more consistent in Dallas. Uh, just being a steady, high minutes 3 and D player. Now, the issues that I had with P.J. Washington is that he kept taking more and more threes, which I love. I love people shooting threes. Like, get it all up there. The problem is he hasn't been making a whole lot of threes. This season, he shot a career-worst 32.4% with the Hornets. That's where I'll end it with. We'll see what he does over in Dallas. But he has shot a career-worst 32.4%, including just 25.6% on corner threes. So you ain't you making a quarter of your shots from the corner. One of the easiest shots to take a three from. He's averaged 0.88 points on spot-up possessions per the NBA stat site, which includes catch-and-shoot jumpers, closeout attacking drives. That's all of it. So it's a guy who comes in with a shooting rep, and he's in the league's 20th percentile. That's not great. Now, again, like I said, the guy has had huge scoring numbers. He had a 43-point game uh, just last month against Utah. Like I said, big games against Sacramento, but he's just been super inefficient over his career, and that's probably been your biggest issue. Add to that the fact that he doesn't rebound as consistently as you would like, and you have a guy who's kind of available because his talent still exists and there's reason to believe that on another team it would be better it just hasn't been good for charlotte so yeah 
I hate it. I love PJ. I wish him the best in Dallas. I will be watching. But he is no longer a Charlotte Hornet. He is now a Dallas Maverick, and we will see how he looks in Dallas. And for that analysis, listen to Round Ball Ramble, uh, my show. Uh, in fact, I did a podcast with uh, Stephen Bagel of The Bird Rights, so check that out. Uh, listen to other podcasts for that. But this is Charlotte Hornets pod, so we're not going to talk about PJ Washington in Dallas because yeah, I don't care. We don't care. We worry about the Hornets right now, right? Buzz City over here. But you got to talk about the second player or the second big player brought in um who came back from dallas that is the question right well two guys did um one grant williams the other seth curry so let's talk about grant williams and what he brings to the hornet so grant williams similar kind of guy in my opinion to pj washington um kind of stocky guy you know uh, he's supposed to he has the reputation of being like this like defender rebounder guy not really what he is but he's a solid forward right he's averaged 8.1 points um 3.6 rebounds and 1.7 assists in 26.4 minutes over 47 games with the mavericks he's done that on 41 percent from the field 38 percent from three and 75 percent from the free throw line um prior to resting three games in early december the sore right knee he had started every game and he had shot better than 40 percent from three-point range um and looked like the guy that dallas had traded a, a first round pick for in the sign and trade from boston um to fit alongside luka Doncic and kyrie irving but unfortunately since he returned from that injury his three-point percentage is cratered it did well below league average and he lost his starting job to a number of other small ball options and so you know that was the issue there um but you hope okay and he's a guy who can shoot the three he usually shoots at a solid clip does bring um the the, the girth to kind of defend some um players of different size and, and the mobi- mobility to also do that um a guy who can definitely grab some rebounds um definitely not like your eight or nine rebound guy per game maybe more five or six but like still solid um and when you have him doing that um I think you have a player that, that's really helpful. Um, and then with Seth Curry, listen, Seth Curry's a shooter. Seth Curry's a shooter. He's going to come in. He hasn't really played a lot in Dallas. He's kind of played sparingly off and on uh, over the last couple of years. Some of that due to injury, some of that just to the team that he was on. But this is a dude that, listen, for his career is a 43% three-point shooter. Like he will knock down the ball. He will knock down a shot a high clip. And what's really good is that both him and, and um, Grant Williams are, are both from the Charlotte area. I mean, literally, Seth Curry is going to wear the old number 30. The old number 30, just like his father did, playing for the Charlotte Hornets. Like, that is really, really cool. And so, you got to love that. You got you to gotta just be excited about that. And that's what we're getting here. So, if you're the Hornets, I mean, right now, you are – this is a new beginning. This is a new, this is a new wave, a new move. We'll see what exactly this team looks like. But right now, there is some hope here. There is some hope here with some actual NBA players. Like, no disrespect to a, 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 a Nick Smith Jr. or a Leaky Black, but, like, guys who can actually get on the court, you expect, like, production from them off the off the rip. That's what Charlotte has right now, off of moves that need to be made. So I'm very excited about that, very pumped that the Hornets are able to, you know, assess their roster, make the needed and difficult changes, I presume, and see the potential payoff here. And, yes, it's going to be rough this season because the Hornets are not a good basketball team. But we'll be watching every game. We'll be giving you the reaction to that, and we'll be going from there. So that'll do it here for this episode of the Sports Ether Charlotte Hornets podcast. I just want to thank y'all again for rocking with me here. Um, make sure to check me out on Twitter 
at Corbin NBA. Make sure to check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. And then also one more thing to plug, one more thing to check out. Um, also on Twitter slash X, of course, Ethos Hornets. Make sure to check that out. That's the coverage of the Charlotte Hornets. We're going to be growing that out, trying to make that a little bit better. So make sure to look at that as well. But listen, y'all, really appreciate y'all hanging on with me for the ride. I want y'all to take care, stay safe. We're going to watch some more Hornets basketball. We're going to talk about it moving forward. It's a new day. Y'all, it's a new day in Charlotte Hornets basketball. Let's get excited. Let's get pumped. I'm Frosty. Y'all say Frosty. And as always, let's go Hornets.